it's fascinating to hear what people share about their experiences, how their businesses developed in response to all of these political decisions that were made, you know, in the days of their grandfathers. You're listening to WERALP, Arlington, Virginia, 96.7 FM, streaming and on demand at WERA.FM. Coming to you from the studios at Arlington Independent Media, I'm your host, Lynn Borton, and this is Choose to be Curious. Welcome. This is a show all about curiosity. We talk about research and theory, but mostly it's conversations about how curiosity shows up in work and life. Chances are, if you're listening to this show, you're also a fan of StoryCorps. StoryCorps collects stories, lots and lots of stories, from lots and lots of what we might call ordinary people. Their mission is to preserve and share humanity's stories in order to build connections between people and create a more just and compassionate world. And if you're listening to the show and you haven't heard of StoryCorps, then get thee to the web and start listening. Founder Dave Isay is a man after my own heart. You can find the most amazing stories from regular people. All you have to do is ask them about their lives and listen. We can learn so much about the people all around us, even about the people we already know, just by taking the time to have a conversation. And if you pay just a little attention, you'll find wisdom and poetry in their words. Most people love to be listened to because it tells them how much their lives matter. Really, listening closely is simple. When you're curious, treat people with respect, and have just a little courage to ask the important questions, great things are gonna happen. And there's the bridge, the connection to curiosity, the taking of time, the paying of attention. Choosing to be curious about others' stories seems to me to be a deeply respectful thing to do. So you can imagine my utter delight when I got an email out of the blue from a woman who was collecting oral histories from local legacy businesses, businesses that had been in families for multiple generations here in Arlington. She'd heard I might be interested. Valeria Gelman is a graduate student in planning at Virginia Tech in the Old Town campus. She and others in the program had collected about a dozen different interviews and were thinking about how to get them to a broader audience. I encourage her to come to AIM, get trained, and pitch a show for WERA, which I am thrilled to say she has done. So welcome to the ranks, Valeria. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. I'm so excited that your show is about to launch. So first, what is oral history? You know how there is historic preservation. And so when you say that, People think of buildings, people think of streets, people think of material things, something that we try to preserve in a city. But a city is more about people rather than buildings when you really think about it. So it's that kind of history. It's the stories of all those people that make up all of those communities. It's the oral history that we've tried, we've tried and we're trying to collect here in Arlington. And there is actually a center for local history in Arlington at the Arlington Library. And this project was in collaboration with them. So it's a project of the Virginia Tech University. And it's the Northern Virginia campus uh, class that took me onto this road of exploration of local histories. So what got you interested 
in oral history or in legacy businesses in particular? It's a great question. The class, like most studio classes, was a little bit experimental. We had our goal to make a connection with local businesses, um, but we were really going to investigate local legacy businesses. We didn't even know what that meant for us. So we came up with a criteria that for us, those businesses were going to be at least 30 years old and so on. And that was based on um, something that we read that exists in other cities. And for example, San Francisco is one of the great examples where that program is popular and fruitful. So to say there is a web page where you could go and it's on all those businesses are on the map and you can read about them and learn their Ooh, stories. Fascinating. Yes. And it's not just buildings. Like I said, it's their stories and people love those kinds of places with histories and it helps promote those businesses and it also helps them in a time of change. So this brings me to the next point. The reason why we were doing this project as part of the classes in that particular area of Arlington and it's a lot along Lee Highway and in a knock community. It's just because the change is coming again. Mm-hmm. Um, that part of Arlington at some point is going to start um, renovation of, of a sort. So there is a vision plan that's already been developed. It's not an official plan, but there has been a vision process in there. It, it's sort of to contribute to that process of, okay, well, what does the community want? What are the problems that they're seeing with it now and what kind of changes do do they want to see um, in their neighborhoods and whether or not they want this change or not, it is going to come. So it's the effort to involve the community. And so we were specifically interested in longstanding businesses because a lot of times those are the anchors of communities and they influence the people who live around, they influence the communities and how they've developed. And at the same time, of course, the community influences them. And it's in the hope of helping those businesses survive and get past that change that is going to well, come. That's, yeah, that's so interesting because I, you sort of anticipated my question, which was, you know, why is it important to be curious about these stories, um, you know, and collect them and use them? And But I think this point of sort of figuring out how to help people whether the transition to really thrive through a transition as opposed to either survive or die in a time of change. I can see its connection um, to the planning. That's really, that's very cool. What did you love about looking at Arlington Legacy Businesses? What I loved is the connection with people. Uh, People open up about themselves and their businesses, and they're just so excited to talk to you about what they love. Sometimes they say that they hate it because they've been <laughs> at their shop forever. Uh, but then one of the one of the interviewees said, "You know, sometimes you hate it, but then when I think of other people with real jobs, I think that they probably hate their jobs too. So my job's not so bad. So they don't <laughs> even always a good thing. <laughs> they don't even consider their job as a real job. That was really funny to me. And they're the most hardworking people of the community. Most of them have only one day off. Yeah." They're yeah. always busy, and that was one of the challenges for us as far as getting those interviews. So I'm not the person who interviewed all of the businesses. Uh, my classmates went around and uh, collected different interviews. It's one of the challenges to actually get a person to sit down and talk to them. And a lot of times it's the t- 
Sometimes you find the time, you arrive to the shop, and it's really loud, and there are lots of people, and they say, yes, I'm ready. And you tell them that we cannot right. record yes. an interview <laughs> with all this noise. And they say, that, well, I'm busy. I can't go anywhere. So they're very busy people. Yeah, yeah. So you were incredibly generous and gave me this kind of sneak peek into some of these stories. And I wanted to play a clip from one of your upcoming shows and then have you kind of unpack it for me. So can we do that? Sure. We will begin with Friendly Cab. Our storyteller is the current owner, Daryl Collins. Back in 48, black people couldn't be born in Arlington County. And his sister, Vicki. The whole Northern Virginia area here, from Johnson Hill to Hallfield to here, they were all hot. Daryl tells us about the days of segregation and how that reality prompted his grandfather to start the business. He also shares his thoughts on the current challenges in the transportation industry. While Vicky remembers the days of when Arlington was a place of dirt roads, but tight-knit communities. Daryl and Vicky shared their stories with Pete Winslow, a master's student in urban planning at Virginia Tech University. So here is the story behind Friendly Cab. To start, I want to just talk about the history of Friendly Cab. And I know it was founded by your grandfather, is that correct? Correct. correct. Can you tell me a little bit about his background prior to founding a cab company? What do you have to do to found a cab company back in 1947? Back in that time, there was more of a transport, not a cab company. Back in 48, um, black people couldn't be born in Arlington County. So you had Arlington Hospital, all of Virginia hospitals, you had a hospital down in Alexandria and stuff. They couldn't be born there. So my grandfather, what he wanted to do was people had to, you couldn't catch cabs either. Actually, black people couldn't catch white cabs. So he started a transport service to transport any kind of medical transports to Howard University Hospital. And once he started that, he understood that, you know, black people couldn't take cabs, white cabs. So that's when the cab business started. But he not only had a cab business, he had a ice house just like a refrigerator, but you come and break the ice and you put right. it in the refrigerator and stuff like that. So he's, he had an ice house. He had a, a lunch hall that he started. He started a hair salon that was doing a training for hair salons and the cab business. They started all of us around about the same time. So he was definitely before his time. Do you feel that even back then, as an African-American business, when they were founded, there was more to it than just running a business there was also a community aspect most definitely and that was the reason for starting the business was to support the the community right like you said so i want to ask you to unpack that actually from two perspectives one in the in sort of the practice of oral history kind of what's happening there you know what are the what are the rules of engagement if you will and then with your planning hat on like what are you listening for what does that tell you what does that make you think about as as we plan for change in the knock community. So start anywhere. But So first of all, I think for anyone who conducts interviews, it's fascinating to just sit there and listen and discover this new world of well in this in this case of the past of this particular community. And I think when you specifically conduct interviews for roller histories, it's very important to respect your narrator, to respect your interviewer. You ask your question and then you just sit and listen. You do not try to help 
the person answer the question. Mm. You do not try to. Is that hard to, to do? Sometimes it is because yeah. you want to participate in the conversation and you want to say, yes, I understand or I can relate. No, I cannot relate to his grandfather in 47. And even if I can, that would be inserting my own opinions. And what you're trying to record, to collect is, of course, they're a subjective story, but as objectively as you can possibly can and sometimes it is difficult and in some interviews actually I had a difficult job of trying to edit out the conversations that my classmates <laughs> uh, engaged with those business owners because they're fascinating people and it's really hard to stay out of it because you just want to have a kind of like buddy to buddy talk but right. that's not what you're doing right. um, so that is one of the important things to remember when you're doing this kind of a project. And also in in this case, we we develop the questions ourselves as a class and uh, we try to ask more or less the same questions to everyone. We try to follow the same scenario. Of course, you know, more or less questions uh, were asked in any particular case, but it's just to try to apply sort of the same standard to everyone mm -hmm. and collect their stories and their opinions of the neighborhood because it's not just about their businesses and about what it was like to open a business, but we've asked them about the community and what they thought was better in the old days, what they think is better now, the changes that they've seen. And a lot of those businesses are very close neighbors and they actually refer to each other in different uh, episodes. But they all remember the past differently, and they all reflect on what they're seeing or how the community has changed now already or the changes that are happening. They reflect differently. And even though they live right ne or even though the businesses are right next to each other. Yeah, and I was very struck listening to a couple of them, um, and the, the same sort of sentence or sentiment shows up of – you know, we're so much a part of the community. We know so much about the community. People laughing that I think it was maybe Forest Valet, sort of this funny line about, you know, we know the community better than it knows itself in some respects because they they have an insight into people in, in sort of their unguarded transactional moments. Um, so I thought to me that was a really kind of an aha insight from this. So, so talk then about... I don't know, are there more things from the oral history perspective or kind of a segue into sort of what does that mean for planning purposes? So I think this clip is fascinating and it demonstrates why it is important specifically for planners to know the history of the area and to know the history of people who live in particular neighborhoods and particular uh, communities because for newcomers, I think a lot of people who live here, not necessarily newcomers, they probably didn't know that in the old days there were several neighborhoods that were segregated and there are a lot of African-Americans who lived here. And even if you knew about it, you probably didn't know they were probably your neighbors and you were friendly with them, but you probably didn't know that they couldn't go to your hospital. A Seattle-based writer named uh, Christina Baldwin has a wonderful line that that I think really sort of speaks to me in this about words are how we think, but stories are how we link. And I think that to me sort of gets at this, it's the stories that sort of help pop the realizations, the implications, the consequences 
of urban planning. I mean, those were decisions that were made in this county and in this state and in this country at one time in terms of how how space was used, who could use that space, um, uh, who paid for that space. Exactly. And, you know, a lot of times, especially for foreigners, I'm foreign myself, it's very confusing to go to downtown in a particular city, town, or wherever you travel, you want to explore the United States, and you realize it's a downtown that's the most abandoned, the scariest, the dangerous area. You're completely disoriented because everywhere else in the world, that's prime real estate. Mm -hmm. That's where it's the nicest, the wealthiest people live there. And people are constantly confused. It's just because they don't know the history of how they happen. And as consequence, it is a consequence of the decisions, of planning decisions in a way that were done in a particular time. You know, that there was there were some regulations uh, where if you were not white, you were not allowed to buy property in particular areas. And then you didn't have, you were not allowed to have a job in a particular area. In the end, people were stuck where they were stuck. And what happened is that African-Americans primarily were stuck in downtown cores and other people live in other areas, and it became very separated. And financial support obviously was flowing accordingly elsewhere. <laughs> and elsewhere. Yes, yeah. and so, so, so um, you're originally from Russia, and I wonder if you think, or how you think, if you think that your um, experience coming here with fresh eyes um, influences sort of the stories that you're interested in, the way you hear those stories, what you notice. Talk to me about that. When I think of how I got into this whole field of trying to make cities better, I think of myself walking around the streets of my hometown with my mom. I was very little. Um, I'm from Nizhny Novgorod. It's a historical city. It was founded in 1221. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of history, a lot of old buildings. And like any old places, a lot of things need to be fixed. And I remember walking around and something that we like doing. We walk downtown and just look at buildings and enjoy the weather. My mom would always say, this is so beautiful. Why don't they fix this? Why is the pavement broken? Why don't they do something about it? And at some point, I decided to be on the side of those who do something about it. That's how it started. But then being as a foreigner here and conducting these interviews and hearing these stories, of course, of course, I know about segregation. I know the history of what happened in this country. But when you know, it's something that I read. But when I hear those stories from real people right here in this community, it, it's just fascinating. You know, it gets you goosebumps. And, and you realize that this happened just not that long ago. And the way that the community developed as a result of that, you know, the result, we're, we're still living in those consequences. Any decisions lead to consequences. And it's fascinating to hear what these people share about their experiences, how their businesses developed in response to all of these political decisions that were made, you know, in the days of their grandfathers. It was the interview with 
um, the owners of the Lion Village Shopping Center, and they were explaining about the history of how it started. And it's one of the first um, shopping centers in this area that was catering to everyone, to, to kind of the more the modern lay, way of living in a card-oriented society. Um, oh, interesting. Because they were talking about the history of this shopping mall and how it started. And in the 50s, 60s, and so on, that was a hype. You know, everyone had a car and you drove and that was a novelty. That was something special that this community had to offer. And when they were talking about those years, I, of course, was reflecting on to what my parents were going through in those years. Mm-hmm. And it, most people didn't have cars and it was such a luxury. And everybody walked and the concept of a shopping center didn't exist in Russia. And and it was just like, when I listened to those stories, I'm like, wow, we lived, or my parents and, and, and you guys lived such different lives in the same era. And, and it's just, it just worlds apart. Fascinating, fascinating. Well, I'd like to bring worlds together here. One thing that I do um, at the end of each show is uh, we do an analogy to curiosity. So my big jar of wannabe analogies died, um, and I'm auditioning new new jars. So I have one here. So I want you to take out a slip of paper, and um, we're going to make an analogy to curiosity with whatever you get on that slip of paper, okay? Sure. I'll take one for myself and one for the audience. Do you want to go first or do you want me to go? I think I want you to go because I want to <laughs> okay. see how it's done. Okay. Uh, oh, all right. Uh, I have a library. How is curiosity like a library? This is actually a pretty easy one, I think. I mean, um, a library is a place where you take your curiosity, I think. So how is curiosity like a library? It's the place that you go to explore, and maybe you wander down the aisles, you're not even sure what you're looking for, but almost anything you pick out is going to lead to more interesting um, aisles to walk down. Um, and uh, and a library, you can take things home with you. And I think with curiosity, you know, you you take things off the shelf, you take them home with you, and then you, you get to sit with it longer. So that's how curiosity is like a library. What do you have? I have baseball, and uh, culturally, this is a little bit difficult for me because <laughs> I did not grow up with baseball, and I kind of don't know the rules. <laughs> but from what I understand, um, if you like baseball, if you like going to baseball games, they usually last a real long time. Yeah, that's my experience. That's what I hear. So to me, I would say that curiosity is like something that is always there. You know how like you go to the baseball game, people tell me, you go to the baseball game, you're not really paying attention, but you're there because like you know that something is going to happen and you're still on the hook while you're drinking your beer, while you're, while you're talking to your friends. And to me, it's kind of like curiosity is just always there. It's not necessarily as acute when something happens and you're just so excited, but you're constantly being fed by this new something that happens on the field. Um, So to me, curiosity is this ongoing, always present um, sort of uh, juice that gets you going, um, keeps you interested and it keeps you excited and you stay there on that field drinking beer and talking to your friends because you're still (laughs) interested and you want to see what happens in the end. Wonderful. Wonderful. I love it. 
um, and pretty good on the, you know, for the cultural bridge. I'm impressed. And audience, yours is a cast iron skillet. How is curiosity like a cast iron skillet? Let us know. Facebook, Twitter, hashtag analogy. Well, well, thank you so much for coming today. And um, I'm excited that you're going to be on the air soon. Thank you very much. I'm very excited too. And thank you very much for inviting me to be a part of your show. You're listening to WERA 96.7 FM. We've been talking with Valeria Gelman, producer and host of the forthcoming Radio Arlington series, The Local Shop, which begins airing December 16th, Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. right here on WERA. Valeria gave me a sneak peek, and they really are wonderful. The stories are sometimes funny, sometimes heartbreaking, always illuminating. I hope you'll listen in. There are just 10 episodes, and Valeria and her colleagues at Virginia Tech would love to collect more stories and potentially keep the shows coming. If you're interested in sharing your story or know someone who is, please email Elizabeth Morton at Morton, M-O-R-T-O-N, 05 at V-T dot E-D-U. If you joined us late or want to catch up on this or any of the other great programs here at WERA, find us online and on demand at WERA.FM. You can listen to this show and all my other episodes on Facebook, Mixcloud, SoundCloud, now iTunes, all at Choose to be Curious. And follow me on Twitter at Choose number two, letter B, Curious. Don't forget to send me your cast iron skillet analogy, hashtag analogy. And are you curious about oral history? Visit the Center for Local History at the Arlington Central Library. I've got links to StoryCorps, the Library of Congresses, various oral history collections, including the slave stories collected during the Depression under the auspices of the Federal Writers Project and the Virginia Tech Planning Program, all on Facebook. Check them out. Special thanks to my guest, Valeria Gelman, the folks at Friendly Cab Company, and to StoryCorps for allowing me to bring Dave Icy into this show. I hope you'll join me next time. Until then, choose to be curious. Funding for Choose to be Curious on WERA 96.7 FM is provided in part by the Center for Parents and Teens, where families are strengthened through a connection built through positive communication, mutual understanding, and realistic expectations of one another. For more information, visit www.centerforparentsandteens.com. Thank you.